0: There was a time when today's guest was clear that he was all the way on top. He was an NFL player, life was good, and then it wasn't. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Talk, And I'm very pleased to introduce you to today's guest, former pro football player King J. Barnett, Today he spends his time as a business person, an author, a mentor, an international speaker. You have gone very far from the Green Bay Packers. Jay, welcome to mind talk
1: oh, Thank you for having me
0: now jay you you heard me describe you. Um, there was a time in your life when i mean it had to feel like the world was spinning around in lovely circles. NFL, Green Bay Packers, lots of notoriety. Life was good.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, from the outside, looking in, um, I think life was uh, good because, you know, here I was with the opportunity of a lifetime. um, And just trying to kind of, you know, navigating through this journey. And I had been been out of college at this time for a year, and and I was a free agent, and I've gone the Arena Football League route. And now I finally had this opportunity um, to, um, to get back in the NFL because I you know, I worked out for several teams and, you know, I went through the whole, you know, the, after the draft um, a journey and that didn't work out. So uh, at this point of life, I think life was, you know, uh, presumably good um, for me because I, I felt that I was finally at this. Place where I was getting the opportunity that I, you know, had dreamed of for years.
0: Let's let's go back a bit. I just want to uh, help our listeners kind of walk through the earlier parts of your life before the NFL uh, experience. You grew up in the eighties yeah. in Mississippi.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: What was life like as a young black man in Mississippi in the eighties?
1: Ooh, uh, life. For a black man in the 80s, uh, growing up in Mississippi, I, was a, I mean, you it was a, a time where you kind of knew your place. Um, looking back, I feel like, you know, so many times that uh, our position as a black boy, you know, was kind of already created because, you, you know, you knew where you could go and where you couldn't go. You know, as you know, racism was very uh prevalent in those times um i can remember going into a store where you know uh the the cashier or the attendant would say you know go ahead and grab whatever you're going to give boy get out of here so and that and that, and that was norm and you know we were uh sort of reared in, in a, a way that you know you, you respect white people and you 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 say yes sir and no sir to them and these good people, you know, uh, allowed you the opportunity. So you kind of kind of grew up in a space where the environment was controlled and sort of influenced by so much racism. so there was no opportunity for me any freedom uh, to be who you were or be who you are uh, to, to, to be yourself. And I, that's what I can remember um, growing up, growing up in the eighties. and as a kid, I saw that I saw people being controlled by fear. Uh, being controlled by racism, and and that was something that I was able to detect at an early age. That I just kind of, I just couldn't get
0: with. Did your did your family talk to you about the fact that you were black and male and living in America and what that meant?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So my my grandparents were sharecroppers, and so and my grandfather were connected to many of the white uh, sharecroppers in Mississippi. And so my grandfather was an entrepreneur and he was well-known, so he was a businessman. He was he was known as growing, you know, the the best fruit, uh, the best wheat field. I mean, he, you know, he had many workers, and so uh, the, the dynamic that uh, he presented and that my grandmother uh, presented to us, who I, whom I spent a lot of time with uh, growing up, and, and they lived on a farm and, you know, they had chickens and, you know, they had hogs and all those different things, so uh, the, the perspective that they gave us is that, you know, it was a privilege for us to be able to live this life that we had that was at times um, kind of seen as if it was afforded to us by the white. Okay. And, um, and it was almost as if the whites have allowed us this opportunity to eat like this and to live like this and to be able to do all these different things. And if it wasn't for the white man, we couldn't do this if it wasn't for the... So, uh, you know the, the perspective is what they sh- showed me um, that that I captured uh, from the experience was that as a black boy, you know, if you didn't have the white man on your side, you didn't have a chance, and that's how I, think, you know, kind of interpreted uh, now uh, from all of the uh, messages and just from just from the conversation that I would even hear w- with them communicating with my uncles and you know with my other relatives is that you know, the, the white man has afforded us this privilege and we should be grateful. And if you were going to, if you, and if you were going to go against that, that was a great opportunity that you was going to experience, you know, some consequences or some last back.
0: So you had to be mindful of the people to whom you owed. It sounds like almost your very existence.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. We have to be mindful of that. You know, you have to be mindful that, you know, at, at, at Mr. Jim A. That's this, this, Crazy because I still remember uh, the the uh, uh, farmer name that my grandfather worked with, Mr. Jim Ed Bobo, and that was the name that when that name was spoken, I mean there was such high, you know, respect and high reverence for this guy. And it's just, you know, so if yeah, you did not respect him or you disrespected him, I mean it was, it, you know, you were it, it was frowned upon, and and so you had to be very conscious and. You know, it goes back to, um, and I guess where I'm at now, and to understand how, you know, we were not slaves and we were not, uh, you know, uh, restricted. Uh, you know, there were some boundaries and some lines that were strong in the town because, you you know, the town was segregated. You had a white side of town and a black side of town. But it's, it's, it's almost like you look at a, a, a people that were not bound, but they were still bound mentally. Indeed. And 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 that was the, uh, the mental uh, atrocity, uh, atrocity that I saw, you know, as a kid. Like, you know, man, Mr. Jim and Bobo controls everything. And, and that's literally how the atmosphere was set, is that he controlled everything. And he controlled it without actually being, in the same vicinity as we were.
0: So a very powerful entity indeed.
1: Right. At right. least that's yeah, what absolutely. that's what you were taught. Right, that's that's, that's what we were taught.
0: So living in that environment where your life you were taught was so much um, at the the pleasure of this particular person, how did you begin to think about football and develop uh, a, a wish to become an NFL player? How did that occur?
1: Well, uh, my, my father, uh, so I grew up a PK. My father was a pastor. Uh, he's one of eight boys, and my father was athletic and he was known as the one that kind of set the uh, precedent uh, for, you know, playing football. So my, my cousins had, you know, uh, had played ball and they had went on to college, uh, played in the, uh, in the NFL uh, or currently as I was coming up and my uncle had did so as well. So uh, for me, I had kind of adopted this, this, this image that, you know, this is who I wanted to become, because as a Barnett, that's what you did. You know, you were athletic, um, you worked, uh, the name was was strong, Uh, the the community knew Barnett, uh, the town knew Barnett, so, you know, you represented not only uh, just this dominant presence of a male, but also, you know, you were athletic, and and, you know, you were able to showcase uh, your ability. And so for me, that's what I wanted to do. And and for my father at the time, um, was was, was he, he was my idol. He was everything. There was nothing that this man could not do in my eyes. And I felt that, you know, he was the strongest man in the world. And I, all I wanted to do is just be, you know, be just like him. And so I can remember times that, you know, I, I wanted to become a preacher and just play football just like my dad. And, uh, and it wasn't until my parents divorced that football really became uh, something that I really connected with because it was a place uh, that I found uh, a lot of uh, acceptance. And also, uh, I was able to find my place um, within society, outside of society, if you kind of understand that. Sure. Um, it, was, it, it was just, you know, my safe haven because, you know, after my parents divorced uh, my mother moved up to Texas. And so uh, for me, it, it became, you know, this this big brother to me that I didn't have, you know, able uh, to have the camaraderie of teammates and, and other guys that you were able to share the same passion and able to share, you know, the same experience and, and, and same uh, struggles. And, and that's why football became um, dear to me. And because as a kid before then, um, I like playing football, but I didn't love it. And it see. wasn't until after uh, the divorce that I became to love it, because now it, uh, football had replaced what my father didn't give me.
0: So football for you, it was so much more than making money and playing games. It was oh, it was your life. Absolutely,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Football was. Um, I, for me going to the NFL was never about money. It was never about status. I really could care less about those things. It was just everything that the game brought to me. The game brought peace. The game brought joy. Um the game brought uh the strategic thinking uh in uh in sort of um, you know, maneuvering uh through uh, our life's challenges, and, and, I, and I enjoyed making adjustment, and I enjoyed the the preparation, the the, the weight room, uh, uh, the watching the film. I enjoyed everything that uh, football represented, but uh, on the other side of it, I also enjoyed the violence of it. You know, being able to hit, uh, being able to uh, uh, release my frustration, my pain, my anger. So it was everything. And when the game was over, oh, my gosh, it just left me uh, sort of (laughs) almost just left me crippled because outside of that arena and outside of that space, I didn't really know anything else. And I didn't want to know anything else because, you know, football, once again, it it was like a father. I found, you know, other uh, father figures in my coaches. And my team had become my big brothers because I'm the only boy. And so, you know, I, I was uh, with the girls as um, a sister. I mean, we had having sisters and, you know, my they, they've they always, always kind of had their own relationship. And so I always kind of felt like a loner. And so when I would go to football, it was, you know, sort of like gave me that uh, opportunity to sort of uh, communicate and uh, kind of interact and engage with other, you know, young boys and, and it kind of share, you know, some of the same experience that, you know, that we all thought about, but, you know, here we are, we're able to live out, you know, those things that we, that, that we sort of imagined.
0: You know, as I listen to you describe all that It meant to you, I'm actually learning as well, Um, because what football is portrayed on the television, obviously, is a bunch of guys running around, playing a game, making huge sums of money and having big parties. And that's kind of what... You see <laughs> on television, and you don't—at right. at least for me—and I think for many people like me—you don't think about the the familyhood, the brotherhood, the, right. the 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 teaching how to think strategically in a world where strategic thinking is so necessary in order to survive.
1: Right, right, absolutely, absolutely, and I and I think um, it, it sort of goes. Um, You know, I noticed that we we are very intelligent uh, people um, and and very intuitive as well, because, you know, even some of my studies that I've done in my master's program and studying how football players are able to make uh, decisions uh, about eight seconds more than the average human being, because many of our decisions have to be made in high-stress environments. And so just even with just a study like that that I've been able to break down, at how we're able to sort of um, depict on how we're going to make a decision in, in the midst of so much chaos. And when you look at people on the outside of football, they're not able to make a, a decision just in <laughs> you know a regular right. working environment. <laughs> so uh, for, yeah, but for football, uh, it, it, it encompasses so much more than what the eye sees. Because like you say, many people look at it as just entertainment. Uh, but for many guys, it is a way of life. Uh, and as for myself, it was a coping mechanism. Uh, many guys have, have not had the ability, have the resources, the opportunity, or even just the, um, the, 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 the knowledge uh, to even understand who they are outside of football. So football has been able to identify a lot of our men, and especially for our black boys. Because for one, it's a sport that we can play uh, that does not cost a lot of money. Uh, is something um, that you know uh, a, a young black boy can and can really uh, grasp as it's, it's not like baseball, which is a very expensive sport. It's complicated. Uh, basketball, you know, probably along with, uh, the same line. Football, but football uh, has a lot to offer because for many of us young African American boys, we do have a lot of anger issues. And our anger issue stems from many of us not having male figures or fathers in the home. And so a lot of our anger is attached to the resentment, and the resentment resentment is birthed from what we didn't get. And football uh, has coaches, coaches, uh, and and, and football has position coaches. And many times, uh, as a young black male, these position coaches become like fathers. Uh, they begin to speak into our lives. They begin to speak to our destiny. They begin to speak to uh, the places that we've never uh, had awakened. Um, you, you know, you have someone that is believing in you. You have somebody that is asking you, How are you doing? How was class today? You know, how's mom? How's the sisters? And how, you know, so football is so much more than just uh, the entertainment side of it. And, you know, you could talk to some guys and they would tell you, this coach was like a father man. this coach stepped in when nobody else believed it, that this coach believed it. I can go on and on, but, and to this day, that's why my respect for the game and my admiration for, um, a lot of these, uh, African-American men that had the opportunity that I had and, or they weren't able to maximize the opportunity or it just didn't work out. That's why I have a heart for athletes, especially in that arena, because, Many of us have to move on without having actually identified with who we are outside of that arena.
0: I see. The idea that the coach, uh, particularly the position coach, is so... um, so valuable and so important to a young boy, a young man's emotional growth and well being his strategic thinking growth and well being again, I think you you bring a very important and and human awareness to the importance of football that again uh I would suspect that many of our listeners who are not engaged in sports would not have otherwise thought of. So thank you for that. There there was a time, Jay, when despite all the happiness uh, that football brought to you, despite the learning and the awareness and just sort of the general enhancement of who you were as a human being, that changed And football was not a part of your life in the same way. And your whole world kind of took a tailspin. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, I would like to pick up with that. Ask you this, uh, Jay, because you've said a number of things that I I couldn't agree with you more. We don't think about um, much, and certainly don't talk about enough. You talked about being depressed as a child, and very often adults don't think that children are depressed. Um, I think we have more awareness now than then. Uh, but not enough. And you talked about cutting yourself. And typically when there is conversation about children, about people cutting themselves, uh, it's that girls cut. We don't talk about, we don't think about the fact that boys cut themselves. And Mm -hmm. you could actually kill yourself and maybe not intend to. Um, For you uh what did cutting do for you why cut yourself
1: well it's it's, it's almost uh I'm, I'm, now i know you uh know this as well so it's almost one of those things just as much as you're in pain mm-hmm. but the fact that you are numb to the pain is what the cutting represents so there's the emotional hurt that you feel from the out uh, and for, for myself it's the absence of my father um it's a um the actualization that my family was broken and um, was, uh, you know, sort of disrupted by, you know, I, or, and so that, so I felt outside influences at the time, you know, from my father uh, on um, infidelity issues. And, but then on the other side of that, you know, all of the emotional pain that I'm feeling, right, there was another side of me that wanted to inflict physical pain on me and the fact that I can cut on myself and I can bleed. And in my mind, I was so, I become such a uh, callous individual that the pain that I was physically, it did not hurt because I was so numb to it. And and for me, it was just like, you know, yeah, you feel it, but you don't feel it. And it's one of those things that's psychological because you do feel it, but story that you're telling yourself mm. is that you don't but it's it's all aside for help.
0: King Jay Barnett one day a football player and then not. Jay what happened?
1: Oh gee I, I think after um, um, after the, the whole Green Bay experience and uh, even that phone call um, that they were going in a different direction for me is for the first time in my life is that I was not accepted and to uh this place that I had held as such a high high level of respect and and regards and 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 something that I struggled with as a kid uh, sort of revisited me um at this time, you know, I struggled with depression as a kid after my parents' divorce. Um I struggled with cutting on myself and and really, you know, indulging into a lot of self inflicted uh, pain and self harm. And I really just, you know, wanted uh, to just really not be here. And uh, because, you know, here I was, this is what i dedicated my life to, you know, the past, you know, eight years. High school, college, uh, just football. And to see some of the guys that I have played with in high school continue on their careers. And, you know, and here I was not unable to continue my career and knowing that it wasn't so much that, you know, uh, this person or that person was better than me, but it was this question, questioning myself, why wasn't, you know, I accepted. And I think that's what a lot of times that we struggle with as men is being accepted into places that we really long for. You know, when you look at how many men are wanting to be loved by their father and wanting to be, you know, accepted uh, by a woman or wanting, you know, we... We sort of we we don't deal with emotion uh, or should I say we're not as resilient in emotion as women are. So things uh, hit us very deeply. And in this place, uh, for me, you know, emotionally, I was just uh, uh, just kind of torn apart because, you know, I was now having to find out who I was and, 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 and I was left to my own. Uh, vices and, and and the suicide thing and the depression thing they all revisit me and i, I began cutting on myself in my bedroom and, and just you know wanted to take my life because here yeah, i was looking uh, for an answer uh to uh, a question that you know I, I don't think had an answer for me and because it was just life only you know, looking back on it now You know, you look at 1,500 players come out every year uh, for the draft, and I think maybe about 259 of them are actually drafted uh, from the first to the seventh round. Then you have maybe a couple hundred of, uh, you know, free agents, which are not, you know, guaranteed uh, jobs. So you're looking at a lot of people that are without work. (laughs) You know, if if football is the goal, and many of us, you know, sort of stare, uh, stare uh, down this this barrel, um, you know, kind of, you know, with these uh, questions that, you know, what's next? And for me, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't have an answer to what's next. You know, my what's next was was, was death, um, uh, so to speak, at that time. And that that was a dark place that I found myself. And I, I ended up surviving that cutting incident and being able to uh, come out on the other side of it, but. And a lot of that, and if I can speak on this, is that, um, and this is why it's so important, um, you know, for us to talk about mental health issues uh, and just talk about disappointment, pain, um, anger, hurt, and trauma, and all those different things, and and, and, and especially for the younger people, because what happens is that whatever coping mechanisms that we develop in those early stages, in those formative years, if there's nothing to come in and really shift the perspective and change the trajectory of how we're making our decisions and how we're behaving. They just grow with us as we grow older. And what happens is that things that we did in a uh, in our past life, or should I say not past life, but in, in previous years, yes. they will become the same tactics and same um, things that we uh, sort of revert back to uh, as adults. And that's what happened to me after football failed because for the first time in my life, I had to accept the very game that I love did not love me back.
0: As we come to the close of our conversation today, um, I, I just want to share with our listeners a quote from one of your books, Finding Our Lost Kings and Queens. You make the point that the king is the most important piece of the game, and moves must be made in such a way that the king is never in check. I'm assuming you mean the king or the queen. I know that's not chess, but what do you say? Right,
1: right, what do you say yeah. to that? Um, so. Uh, for my perspective and for um, the penmanship on that uh, particular quote, um, when you look at our society, the king being the most important part of the, uh, of just life in general. And, of course, you know, in chess, we all know the queen is the most important piece. Uh, but I liken it to the king being, because in this game of life, that king determines so much about how um, the community evolves, Um, It determines how uh, the world perspective. Um, There's a great responsibility on on us as men. And so that's why my heart for these young boys and and not just black boys, but just boys from all races and all walks of life is because the the more that a boy can identify with who he is and what uh, and who he can become, it allows him to develop uh, a sense of uh, identity beyond himself, meaning that another generation uh, can only learn from the previous generation, but that's all attached to what is it's giving to the current generation, and that is determined by the male. When you look at the kings of old, and when you look at uh, even King David, everything about David right, was attached to what Solomon was going to become. Mm. And so the important part, and I can go into all this lesson and that and teach a lesson, but there's so much attached to the decisions of men. Because here's what I want to leave with the list. A mother will determine how you feel and what you remember, but a father will determine what a child believes.
0: Terrific. Again, King J. Barnett, thank you so much for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk, Folks, thank you for joining me today. For joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service and it is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a mental health, medical health, or other professional. You can listen on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. You can download the Mind Talk app from your iTunes or Google Play Store. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown in 26 by 2 Communications. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening today. So do send an email to me at Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. You can also send your questions or comments to me at Pamela at mindtalk.org. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, then it's unacceptable.